welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 270. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Star Trek Discovery's second season episodes, Saints of Imperfection and The Sound of Thunder. Here we go. Saints of Imperfection, Season 2, Episode 5, original release date, February 14th, 2019, directed by David Barrett, written by Kirsten Beyer. Guest cast include Michelle Yeoh as Philippa Giorgio, Jane Brooke as Katrina Cornwell, Alan Van Sprang as Leland, Rachel and Cheryl as Nan, Bahia Watson as May Ahern, Hannah Cheeseman as Ariam, Emily Coots as Kayla Detmer, Patrick Kwakchun as Reese, Oyen Oladejo as Joanne Oosekun, Ronnie Roy Jr. as Bryce, and Julianne Grossman as Discovery Computer. Stamets and Burnham conclude that Tilly has been taken into the mycelial network. She wakes up there with May, the parasite, who wants her to stop a monster ravaging their world. Discovery finds the shuttle that Spock used to escape the psychiatric unit, only to find Giorgio on board. Section 31 Captain Leland assigns Tyler to Discovery to ensure that Discovery does not interfere with Section 31's own investigation into Spock. Ensign Sylvia Tilly is out there. We have an hour to find her. You kidnapped me! I need your help. Try not to blow us up. You're such a warrior. The bridge. There's been a complication. We won't survive complications. All right, Adam, kick us off on Saints of Imperfection. We get into this episode, and you know we've had this theme going on for like three or four episodes with Tilly in May. This kind of goes back, um, what to episode two when she was hit. Well, no, this actually goes way back when she was infected by a spore. So yeah, we've kind of gotten p- bits and pieces throughout the last two or three episodes, and this is kind of the finale of this, where she's taken into the mycelial network. And um, I really like the act- actress. I like um, I like Tilly. Um, she does a really good job as an actress with her facial expressions and just um, you know, kind of her innocence. And I, I don't want to say like she's a kind of a comedic. Um, aspect on there, but she kind of fulfills that role. It's not like she's purposely being comedic. It's just like her personality and um, the way she portrays the character. So I, I kind of took notice of that first um, scene when they're in the mycelial network, and she's just so angry. Um, and the facial expressions. Um, it yeah. Um, I, I I really enjoy the character Tilly. One thing I thought about with her that I hadn't consciously thought about before. I love that she's kind of normal looking. I mean, she's pretty, but she's normal. She looks like somebody you would see when you go to the grocery store or the coffee shop or something. Like a normal human, unlike most, you know, most actors and actresses that in television and film are like, you know, perfect specimens or whatever. But Yeah, she's, I mean, she's definitely is kind of the everyday man mm-hmm. on the ship. Um, yeah. So she kind of serves that, um, that role. And she's, um, you know, she's also very young, kind of just getting started in her career and we kind of see her aspirations of wanting to you know command and one day become captain like i said i just really enjoy her character and the way she portrays that you know then we kind of get into the episode giorgio um is in spock shuttle and you know we all love at least i really love the character giorgio felt a little like they pulled the same trick though didn't we already have this before oh it's gonna be spock it's spock here comes spock spock's coming on now oh it's not spock yeah yeah it was it was great the first time and the second time it's only because you're like, oh, if I guess if it's George Jones, okay. Yeah, what are we? We're five episodes in, and um, we still got yeah. a few more before. And we, we know see the Stock. next one; he's not there either. Yeah, it's so. almost halfway through the season. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, they kind of keep they keep teasing that on and on. I, as far as the story goes, it's kind of it's I kind of feel like it's 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 a normal kind of Star Trek kind of typical story um, where they're they got to save. They're trying to save Tilly. You know, there's a species that's, you know, you know, in danger. They want their help. You know, we've kind of seen the story along the same lines. But the I mean, the real the real twist in this episode is the doc coming back. And um, I'll let um, I'll let Steve take it from here. I'm certainly glad they kind of move. They're moving on from the whole. I, I like Tilly too, and and the actress and everything like you said. But yeah, this whole thing with the May Ahern and the where what's going on here and tied to the network and where are we going with it. So they finally culminates in this whole thing of bringing Hugh back, uh, which is cool. Taking so long to get to Spock gets a little aggravating. It it, it does certainly it does help that it's um, Giorgio. I really like that the like the the Giorgio uh, Pike discussion in the hallway. It's like oh these great characters and great people playing these characters and and that you know that 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 was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. So yeah, I mean on the whole, like I kind of was talking in other episodes, it's really hard to get away from the notion that you feel like you're just kind of like moving plot along like five stories at once or something but you know on the whole this one does focus a little bit more i think because they're slowly getting away from some of the klingon stuff and tyler and all of that over time they have to find some excuse for him to be around so they do the section 31 thing with him and all that but um yeah well tyler i mean he's more palatable now that they're not doing the relationship it kind of took him a long time to kind of figure out what this character is and what his purpose is. And it's kind of jarring because, you know, okay, first he's he's on the Klingon homeworld and he's doing that. And then he's taken off and now he's in Section 31. So they kind of, so they, they pop him around. But I, but I do remember, you know, once they finally got him into Section 31 and, they, you know, they got away from the relationship stuff with um, Burnham. Yeah, the, char- the character was fine for me you know they found a kind of found a place i don't know they, they put so much into his reasoning for going to konos and then setting up his relationship with laurel and then him having a child all that stuff and now it's all abandoned he's chosen to just to abandon all of it to be in section 31 on discovery it, it doesn't i mean it just doesn't track with the character they've created I didn't like him before, and well, I think that's kind of the problem. They never really had a. It was never. It, it was kind of all over the place. What is Tyler going to be? Is he going to be this um, Starfleet security officer? Is he going to be um, the Klingon? Or is he going to be um, Burnham's boyfriend? Um, and none of that kind of ever. It just never worked out. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I agree with you on all those points, Brian. But I kind of feel, if I remember correctly, with the first time I watched this, I'm kind of like, once they kind of got him in this spot. I, I didn't have any issues. I mean, I wasn't like blown away by the character or his portrayal, but it didn't bother me anymore. Kind of like what it did in the first season with the relationship stuff. I think overall this episode, I mean, it, it won me over, but I remember like the first time I saw it, I remembered as I was watching it this time, the first time I saw it a couple of years ago, it, it was just so many, it, it was just so kind of overly complicated that I, I mean, I didn't want to put in the effort to like follow it, all of the story and stuff. But this time, maybe just because I'd seen it, this is the second time watching it, I did. It's kind of like, I don't know, like the way when you think, I talk often about how much I love Star Trek Three. when you actually think about, the, there is a logic to the way they bring Spock back. I, I mean, the actual explanation of how it's actually done. This makes sense. And I, I don't think I followed it last time, but it kind of does make some sense here how they bring back Culber with one 
with one minor complaint, how Kohlberg goes from being dead to getting into the mycelial network, that part doesn't entirely make sense to me. But everything else, what actually happens in this episode, does kind of work in its own in its own way. And the episode feels relatively standalone, which I, I think I'm learning is makes each episode of this series worth a little more to me. <laughs> we talked about a couple weeks ago, I think there was an episode or maybe it was time for that, but there was one that was just like, it was so just a part of the surrounding narrative of the, the serial serialized nature of the show. That it, it didn't really function on its own, but like today's two episodes certainly do. Both of these episodes do. I'm surprised I didn't remember this better, but I think that just that's evidence. You know, the whole thing that May was a part of what eventually became how they bring Culber back. That I didn't remember that, and that was just two years ago that I saw this. That's to me, that's not evidence of my failings. That's evidence of problems with the show not making any sense uh, the first time you watch it. Yeah, it's one of those things like they're so the writers are so in their own heads, and it works because they've thought about it so much. But they don't have that incredible skill of being able to step back and, you know, kind of be a little more objective about it. Maybe, you know, but I do like this episode. I think it's a solid episode. And like I said, it won me over. And uh, a lot of that is some of the performances, too. Kind of one of the issues. I had a, a pacing issue in the second half of the episode. It seemed like um, everything that was going on in Discovery and on the, you know, the Prime universe, it seemed very frantic and fast paced. Whereas when they're on Discovery, they're kind of like, for lack of a better, they're very lack, lackadaisical. It's not, they weren't in a real hurry to kind of... You mean the people in the mycelial network? This mycelial network, correct. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Um, it, it was just, I don't know, the pacing just seemed off. Like I said, very frantic on Discovery and the mycelia, it was just very... Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. There's a moment when, now not, when, when Stamets first catches up with Colbert and he starts talking about like their third date, that makes sense to me because he's trying to break through that's part of the of contacting him. But then later, after he has, and he's down there, and he's holding him stuff and stuff, and they and they say, "How did this happen?" How, and he takes a minute and he just kind of steps back and explains how he thinks maybe that Culber ended up here. And it's such a like ex, expository moment, and it doesn't make any sense if if discovery is about to be broken into pieces. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is not the time to have that conversation. Yeah. Get out of the muscular network yeah. and then come up with all the theories you want. Um, yeah. It's just because, you know, like I said, they made it so, you know, you had actually could see the mycelial network coming through the bridge. And <laughs> I just kept thinking to myself, Pike is standing right next to it. I'm like, do you really want to be standing right next to it? You could just flip any <laughs> So, um, uh, but I agree with what you mentioned earlier, Brian, about um, Culber. I'm like, I didn't remember how he came back either. And, I, and um, it, it, the episode, kind of, it made sense um, how he came back. So um, for the most part. One of these episodes, Burnham refers to Stamets as a widower. I don't remember if it was this one or the other one. But I didn't, doesn't that mean they were like married? I never thought about that before, but I didn't know they said that explicitly. I'm not for sure either. Yeah, I don't recall they established they were married. Yeah. I like some of the uh, visual effects, the VFX, like when they're going through Discovery on the side of the mycelial network, and you see like the walls being eaten up or something. It also, I guess, doesn't make all that damage must have been fixed later or something, I guess, right? They got their little robots that take care of it. This is episode 5.5. Right, sure. (laughs) I kind of like this episode. I was surprised. What's this episode about? Nothing's ever lost, really, you know. And obviously, in this episode, um, we get 
the Dalek back up, but I guess kind of what I, I don't know, it's kind of <laughs> had our time coming up with exactly what they were trying to say in this episode, because it kind of has a happy ending. Culper, I mean, he's not, he comes back, you know, and there, there's a kind of a theme in this, like, you know, nothing's destroyed, nothing, nothing is destroyed or created, everything is kind of saved or recycled. So that, there's that kind of that theme of recycling in it, and I think with Colbert coming back, you see he's not quite normal. We get into that more along the line in the season. So I guess, you know, and then I guess what this, that other theme that they're going with when we see Giorgio in the shuttle, like I said, I guess nothing is as, is as it seems is what, the, what I kind of got what they were going for, but I don't know how well that sticks. Yeah. I mean, I think overall, since the A story is definitely the, uh, the, the plot line that leads to um, Colbert coming back and they speak of nothing's ever lost and this kind of thing. I think that's what they're going for. I don't know that that's particularly well established in all the other nuances of the story. You know, they, it's just kind of a, a mantra that they drill in your head throughout this part, you know, with the mycelial network and whatnot. Uh, so that's, that's really the best I can come up with, too. I don't think there's any uh, overarching kind of crossover with any of the B, C, D, E, F stories or whatever they're going on throughout it as well. So you guys like this episode, the, the first podcast of this season, first couple of episodes, we had such positive things to say. Last week, our second, you know, episodes three and four of season two, it seems like we were more negative. I, th- I think this is a good episode, you know, and I don't feel like, I don't feel as like, oh, yeah, this is, this is it, you know, like excited, like right at the top, you know, when I was, when they Better first Better than it. three and four, yeah. but not, uh, as, not as good as one and two. I think so, if I had to say yeah. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I would say, yeah, I would agree. It's a solid episode. It's got flaws. It's not, definitely not perfect, but it's a solid, a solid episode. I think we discussed the flaws and what we liked about it. All right. Let's do six degrees for Saints of Imperfection. Today's questions are just trivia. Uh, Adam? Yes. We learn in this episode that Nan is the new chief of security who previously held that position. I'll take either name, although one is more obvious than the other. Tyler? Yep. No bonus points. You know the previous person? That person that was killed. The previous person. Oh, I can't remember. That was, that was um, old crazy nut job lady. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah she yeah. got... She get eaten by the mm-hmm. tardigrade. Ellen Landry. Mm-hmm. All right. Adam has one. Moving on. The Sound of Thunder, Season 2, Episode 6. Original release date, February 21st, 2019. Directed by Douglas Arniokoski. Written by Bo Yun Kim and Erica Lipolt. Guest cast include Javier Baudet as the creature, Hannah Cheeseman as Arium, Emily Coots as Kayla Detmer, Patrick Kwok-Chun as Reese, Oyen Oladejo as Joanne Oosekun, Ronnie Roy Jr. as Bryce, Hannah Spear as Serana, Julianne Grossman as Discovery Computer, Mark Pellington as Baul, Raven Dowda as Dr. Tracy Pollard, David Benjamin Tomlinson as Linus, and Michael Ayers as Transporter Officer. Another of the mysterious signals leads Discovery to Saru's homeworld of Keminar where the Kelpians' predators, the Bahal, demand Pike surrender Saru as Starfleet has agreed to stay out of the conflict between the two species. Pike refuses, but Saru turns himself over to prevent a fight. Tilly works with Lieutenant Commander Armani to sift through the Sphere's information on Kuminar. They learn that the post-Balhari Kelpians were once the Kuminari's dominant species and nearly eradicated the Bahal. Worshipping. Tell me what I'm looking at. That vowel structure is activating patterns across the planet. 
With an energy buildup capable of destroying every Kelpian village. Rather than let them evolve, the Ba'ul are committing genocide? Bryce, hail these bastards. Reese, forget the stronghold. Get a target lock on those pylons. They are not responding, sir. Open a channel. This is Captain Pike. I will not allow you to wipe out an entire race. Your fear of the Kelpians has blinded you to a peaceful solution. Starfleet can help you negotiate a new balance between your two species, protecting everyone on your world. However, if you choose to murder the entire Kelpian population, you will become our enemies. Choose wisely. Steve, kick us off in Sound of Thunder. What, is, what does Thunder sound like? <laughs> Boom. You know, I uh, I like this on the whole. The um, you know, we have a, a, a focus on Saru and his home world. We're kind of uh, piggybacking off of the short trek that we, we haven't really covered those, but there was a short trek that that showed um, some of what Saru spoke of with uh, his origins on getting into Starfleet and, and what he had to give up and so on and so forth. But it's uh, you know, it's interesting and and it one one thing that this does as well is as well as being kind of a more standalone because it's focusing more on Saru and his home world and all these kinds of things is that it also, but at the same time, it continues this notion of there's a little bit of a religious kind of thing going throughout season two, this notion of science and religion and faith and, you know, all that, which is, which is interesting. You know, uh, Pike's got that kind of emphasis. We learn about his character and Saru, you know, has his history of having, uh, you know, priests in his family. Uh, we discover his sister has become a priest it's it's interesting and it's also interesting how they kind of they they explore long-standing notions in trek like the prime directive or general order one um of you know what does that mean how do you interpret it it's always a it's always a struggle and and you know doing what's right with that um so that's interesting and um yeah so and i, and I really like the uh hail these bastards that's that's cool i like that line but yeah that's those are my first thoughts on this one thing i was thinking about watching this up this episode was how much i like the way this show looks i really like the way Mm. i really like the way it looks it's the Mm -hmm. one thing it consistently has over other big budget sci-fi shows i'm thinking modern like current ones like stuff like mandalorian might argue mandalorian is a better show for what it's trying to be but it does not look great this show looks fantastic even when there are episodes that i don't care for Mm-hmm. It always looks so good. Just the design of it, the the production design, the costumes, the lighting, the way it's shot. Obviously, the aspect ratio. <laughs> yeah, I like the way the the camera moves most of the time. So every now and then they go a little too far. There was a scene in the beginning when the I got dizzy. I got dizzy. Yeah, the Tyler Burnham bike conversation where the the just steady cam around everybody. Mm-hmm. That was a bit too much. But other than that. Mostly, I like the way the camera moves. I just I like the way the show looks. It looks they they really put the money on the screen. Anyway, uh, Adam, your first thoughts uh, on this show? Yeah, I like overall. I like this episode. I agree with um, most everything that's said here. It's you know you got the inner cultural conflicts between two different species. That's a that's been a theme in Star Trek um, a number of times. Um, what it means to be the Serbian species or the dominant species. We learned that, you know, that those roles were reversed at some time in the past via the sphere information. Um, so that's, you know, that's all kind of, that's interesting, you know, the, just how all that kind of works out sociologically on that world. I guess my kind of my only issue with it, just because we, you know, Discovery never returned to this 
they clearly didn't return to this too much in season two and definitely didn't return to it in season three. My problem, I guess, was with um, the way they portray the Baha, this kind of like creepy, scary, slimy creature that comes out of the water. And I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that. It's just because my problem with it is because like you never, they never really come back to this, to this world. You know, it's clearly a very important world to, you know, one of the main characters on our show. They decide to do something really different with the, with the ball species, but we never, but they never go back to it. We never kind of get a a better understanding of it. We never kind of what is this? What what are, what is this creature they're portraying here? And so I guess that's kind of my that's kind of my issue with it. I I don't remember having an issue with it at the time. I remember having an issue. I did have an issue with it this time because I'm like we know we never get answers about this world or what's going on between the species and that kind of thing. And I think that's just a little bit more of a disappointment on my part. I mean I mean who, who knows? Maybe they can go back to it again in, in four or five if you know they go that long. But that that would be my disappointment in, of this episode. Yeah, because he literally says to her, "I will come back," right at the end, and I don't I don't think he does. And if he does uh, in seasons in season four, I'm pretty sure she would be long since dead. She shows up at the end of this season, though, so they do get to say oh, that's goodbye. right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're right. I forgot about that. But he doesn't come back like he said he would. Right. Actually, it's funny. This episode felt like a little, just a little bit, like a Stargate, one of the, like either SG One or maybe um, Atlantis. One of the, like an episode. For, even the name, like Bahul, that sounds like something out of Stargate, the TV shows, and the the way the Kelpian society is. And somebody's definitely a fan of SG One. I like this episode. My one kind of like little narrative quibble is it felt a little bit like maybe Discovery initiating Vaharai like on in a planetary scale was one step too far. Clearly going one step too f- yeah. beyond the Prime Directive. Right. I mean, they didn't even ask the Kelpians if they wanted it. I mean, it was, it was like... Do it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was... Uh, that was uh, a little bit much. Yeah, everything kind of got rushed there towards the end of the episode. Yeah. But, you know, that aside, I, I, I like this. I like this episode. Again, it's it's fun that it's self-contained. And it moves the main story along. There, there are It does. Uh, it makes sense why they're here. We now have multiple points to define the line of, of what the Red Angel is doing. There's definitely a clear you know, benevolence to this mysterious Red Angel's actions. By this point, in connection to Discovery, you would, you would think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I like this episode. And part of it is, too, we've talked a lot about how great Doug Jones is, but he is very good. He really defined this entire species, not just out of necessity because he was the only one, but I don't know. He, he seems to have defined it even more. What's who somebody else? There was only one. Um, the Doctor on Enterprise, for example. I don't feel like I can tell you uh, what Denobulans are like necessarily because of his performance, but because of what Saru, what, what Doug Jones does as Saru, I feel like I have a handle on every Kelpian. You know? Kind of like what Spock did for Vulcans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I even like the design of the Bahul, their, their ship. You know, there are these weird water creature dudes and Reminded me a little, that bit reminded me a little bit of the abyss too. <laughs> um, reminded me of the horror. What is it? The ring? Isn't that what the creature that looks like that comes out of the? Oh well yeah, Ringu, <laughs> the girl with yeah. the. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they were definitely thinking about that. You're right. No, I mean, uh, well, these two episodes are kind of also the the beginnings of, to some extent, of the whole notion of control and this kind of thing that pervades toward the end, you know, of this this thing that they have to do something about, you know, that this this control that they they need to contain it and it's got the spear data and all this stuff too. I mean, up till now or up to the last these few episodes, we're hearing the references are haven't been there, but now we're hearing more and more references to control and section 31 and what they're, you know, there's connection there. So they're planting those seeds. Do they talk about control here in this episode? I know, I know um, definitely uh, clearly section 31, this is the most agency we've seen them, them yeah. have the way they really take part in this episode. I made some note. I can't recall the exact context okay. now. There, there was a statement somewhere in there of control, but yeah, it's definitely the most uh, that um, the sphere data has played a role in an mm-hmm. episode. Well, you could kind of take that from the conversation Tyler and Pike had at the end of this episode, where they're kind of you know he's sharing the information, and Tyler's making the case left for you know why why they have to be so secretive and you know control things because they're trying to prevent a war. So. That's kind of where I kind of take that kind of control theme from that end. What's this episode about? Um, I think Steve hit on it earlier. You know, there's a, there's a couple themes that they're going going with in here, and um, Steve mentioned this earlier in the episode, and it, I, I didn't realize it until he just did, and it does make sense. There, there is a little bit of a you know a spiritual religious theme going through this season, and it's not unusual for um Trek to, for Trek to do this, but in this episode, it's clearly. <sighs> It's clearly, you know, making the case between, you know, the a dominant species and a subservient species and, you know, slavery and, and controlling a species and keeping them from fulfilling their full potential. And a lot of the way that they did that in this episode, I mean, the way this culture did that is through religious, you know, creating a whole religion on the balance. You know, this is how life works and this is your place in it. Once you start the Valhalla, you have to give yourself up and ascend or whatever you know kind of belief system they had in there and so a, a lot of the i think corner towards the second half of this episode they're kind of it's talking about you know quite you can't you always kind of have to question your beliefs not because they're not true or they don't serve you it's just that you know to to grow and evolve as a person you know you have to question these things and see if they're right for you or not and that's kind of i think what they were kind of talking about in here and uh, you know and there's a lot of you know there's the reverse of that where the bahal or you know the the prey at one point and as a speed how do you you know how role reversals can change really quickly without you even knowing it so those are what i kind of took from it well in that same sense i like that um i had a little bit of empathy for the bahul now obviously i i wouldn't condone or have empathy sympathy for them if they commit genocide but you can see how they would have gotten to the system they did if they were being, you know, systematically um, hunted down and, and killed thousands of years ago by the Kelpians, you know. So I, I, I like that despite the fact that they look like the Ringu girl, <laughs> they I still had a little bit of empathy. I could see how. And I think they could, I think that's where they missed on this episode a little bit is the role reversal. They kind of just touch on it. And, you know, I mentioned I complained about, you know, the way they portrayed the Bahul as this, you know, creepy well girl. Yeah, they didn't need to be that. Like, even just when we first experienced them on the bridge, because we just hear their voice, mm-hmm. like, they're so, like, evilly sounding. I'm like, I think, yeah, yeah it <laughs> yeah. would have been a little bit more effective if they hadn't gone quite that far. I mean, either. so I, I get your point where, you know, and I, I but they could have done a better job, you know, showing the that the Bahal's point of view, other than just, say, just saying it in a line of text. 
and then clearly kind of making the species look out to be, you know, they clearly made him look to be a villain. You know, it's monstrous and alien, you know, well, girl. <laughs> so it's like, it's like Ringo girl is like today's twirling mustache or whatever, right? Yeah. You know, on the villain or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what's interesting is that this notion of, um, a society, a, you know, a group, a, a group of people, a race of individuals oppressed, you know, through essentially a manipulation, you know, whether you're talking religion or some kind of, you know, structure set up in the society. I mean, you know, we, we see that now and this, and, and you're right, this, this would be more interesting to delve more into the notion of the role reversal because that, that really complicates the matter, but because they made them so sinister, and despicable, you know, you don't, we don't get into that much. We just say, logically, we hear that, okay, once they were the oppressed, now the oppressors, okay, you know, but we're not feeling that much. But we certainly, uh, the, the, this theme of, um, you know, a, a group oppressed by another group through the, the structures that are set up in that, in the, in the society as a whole is, is a prevalent theme. And, and they, did a, a very interesting sci-fi way to explore that here, you know, and then ultimately they rise up um, and, you know, overcome that. So I think that's the, that's the, the grand theme here. And you know, so it's also kind of an interesting, you know, they, you know, when Burnham and Saru first get there, you know, um, Burnham's like, Oh, this seems like a, a paradise. And in a lot of ways, you know, Saru says they, they, we live in harmony. There's no hunger. There's no poverty. There's no war. There's no crime. But yet they don't really have freedom to grow and evolve. Right. So it's like, what's the balance? What's right or wrong? You know. So you know, you have to kind of question that too. That's an interesting point. I, the little things that I kind of wish they would have hit on a little bit more in this episode. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say I don't think you could have fit it on this episode. That's why I'm disappointed they never went back to this. Mm. All right, let's do six degrees for the sound of thunder again. Just trivia: Who went first last? Adam, Steve. Mm-hmm. This episode follows up on events from one of the short film short tricks. Which wasn't was it? I've got multiple choice for you, unless you already know the name. I'm not, I'm not pulling right. off the top of my head. Was it Runaway, The Escape Artist, or The Brightest Star? The Brightest Star? Yes, sir. That's right. The Escape Artist was the Harry Mud one. Oh yes. But I don't remember which one Runaway was. It was just the, those are the titles I thought any of those maybe could work. <laughs> right. They also sound like titles of 1960s pop songs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's two more episodes down on uh, season two. All right. Well, we're going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Until then, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Haven't been there in a while. <laughs> yeah, I need to check that. So thank you for spending an hour with us. And uh, again, reminder to everybody, go get your shot if you haven't already. And if you have, great for you. I ate at a restaurant sort of the other day, and it was amazing. <laughs> for the first time in 15 months. We're going to be back. Looking forward to it. Take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya.
one, I passed it.